One of the deadliest earthquakes in the United States was the 1903 San Francisco earthquake. This magnitude 7.9 earthquake was followed by devastating fires which claimed 3,000 lives and destroyed most of the city. After this event, scientists started to understand how stress builds up along fault lines and tried to predict earthquakes. In 1989, there was a magnitude 6.9 earthquake in California's central coast, occurring during a World Series baseball game between San Francisco Giants and the Oakland Athletics. The earthquake only lasted 15 seconds, but caused massive damage to Santa Cruz County. The quake caused many deaths and thousands of injuries as a portion of the Nimitz double-decker freeway in Oakland collapsed. It even became the topic for an episode of Full House, with Stephanie Tanner becoming fearful of another aftershock. After the earthquake, several researchers reported that magnetic disturbances foreshadowed the quake, but recent studies have cast doubt on this. For years, the next big one has been forecasted and the odds are estimated at 7% or greater for a magnitude 8 earthquake in the next 10 years. The San Andreas movie, California is experiencing a statewide earthquake that goes on record as easily the biggest earthquake in history. Dwayne Johnson plays Ray Gaines, a helicopter rescue pilot for the Los Angeles Fire Department who is trying to find his daughter, Blake, who is a San Francisco amongst the chaos. Today on Dead End, we will be reviewing San Andreas. Where will you be? Who will you be with? How can anybody stay alive? you gonna die. Well, tell me what I've got to realize. So, Welcome to Dead End, a disaster movie podcast by a couple of guys who have been known to get stuck between a rock and a hard place. I'm Matt Bluma. And I'm Rob Fauché. Well, we're coming to you now from second week of quarantine, at least. And a new new residence recording studio here. Yeah, I'm sorry I couldn't give you any help to move, you know what, with the social distancing. <laughs> That works in everybody's favor, but mine. Oh, man, I bet it's taken forever. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. It's been going good, though. It's been uh, one of the easier moves to date, so... Labeling boxes is a, is a big help. Yeah, I, after the like <laughs> second or third move, you start actually organizing stuff and it becomes easier. <laughs> so this week's disaster movie is San Andreas. Yeah, 2015. Uh, you cut out. I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I was going to say. Uh... <laughs> 2015 movie directed by uh, Brad Payton, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Hip, yes, I'm Did you watch a lot of wrestling when you were growing up? Uh, not so much. More so uh, play at N64. What is it? WWE Raw or WCW? Yeah, those wrestling that games was, are great. <laughs> that was great, yeah. One of the best four-player four games back then. How about you? you? You watch a lot of wrestling? 
I think I got into it right as The Rock was like at his peak, and I definitely remember, you know, The Undertaker, Triple H, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, but he was already kind of, I don't want to say on his descending, but yeah, definitely The Rock was like the most popular wrestler when I was into it. But yeah, after his wrestling career, he started uh, acting, and he's now become something of like a you know, box office name for any of these big action movies. Yeah. Snuck his way into Fast and Furious and all the other ones with the... Uh, Hobbs and Shaw. One. Yeah, that one. and Yeah, he's... Jumanji. Around, like, all those. Jason Statham. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, what the hell is the one I'm trying to think of? The uh, With all those guys, I think Steve Austin... I think he's in it too. The uh, Expendables. Oh yeah, that was a huge is it, action. Isn't the Rock in there? Uh, if he's not, he'll be in the next one. But yeah, so <clears throat> movie starts out. So the movie starts out. What they're? What is the first scene? We're introduced to this teenage girl who is driving down the uh, mountain roads in California little distracted checking her phone and then out of nowhere she like goes off the road and does this crazy you know flipping end over end down the side of the cliff until like the car gets wedged right on the edge and it looks like the ground has kind of like ripped open and there's this new like exposed area i mean we kind of all know this is an earthquake movie <laughs> yeah the the landslide, all the rock and shit falling down the mountain, that's that's what caused her to go off the road, right? Or was it the texting? It's up to little, the viewer. I, <laughs> I prefer to think that it's the texting that's why she went off the road. Right. So she's down there, and then they, uh, she's dangling on, hanging on by a thread. And uh, so the rock... And crew fly in with a helicopter to rescue her. Yeah, former military search and rescue crew with The Rock as the main, like, helicopter pilot. They get to her, and they send down, like, the first guy after, you know, they, like, somehow wedge the helicopter in, like, sideways between this narrow canyon. What did they call it? Tip in the hat. Yeah, I don't know if that's a approved move to ever do with a helicopter (laughs) but yeah so after they get down he sends one of the search and rescue guys down and the rock keeps saying how they have to stabilize the car and i figured they would just connect something to like the top of the car to keep it from like dangling back and forth anymore but he sends them like to the back side of the car to like wedge it up and this is when the guy gets like trapped because his arm gets stuck underneath the car and the car and the cliff didn't seem like a really smart thing to be doing. No, I'm with you on that. They should have just went for the top side or front end. But So now running low on fuel, the Rock's got to go down and do it himself. And he rigs up, you know, the ropes and everything, gets the girl, gets the guy that's trapped, and the car goes flinging off. And I expected, like, when the car crashed to the bottom of this cliff, like, it was going to explode, like... You know, cliche Hollywood action movie, but at least it didn't blow up. A couple times. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, now we know 
we have our action hero part of the movie taken care of. But as all disaster movies, we have to have our concerned scientists. So we're introduced to um, Professor Dr. Lawrence Hayes, who's played by Paul Giamatti. The largest ever recorded here in North America, Anchorage, Alaska, 1964, a 9.1. The Earth shook for five straight minutes. The energy release was the equivalent of 10 million atom bombs the size of the one dropped on Hiroshima. And that's not the biggest earthquake ever recorded. No, the biggest was four years earlier, off the coast of Valdivia in southern Chile, a 9.5 on the Richter scale. Right there. Bam. This quake lasted 11 minutes and spawned a tsunami 82 feet high that leveled Hilo, Hawaii, 8,000 miles away. 8,000 miles away. You know, the last couple of movies we've had it where, like, we have one character where it's the scientist soldier or scientist slash action hero. But in this movie, we got, you know, two distinct people. One is very much like science nerd and one is very much, you know, survival slash uh, search and rescue military action guy. So he's at the California Institute of Technology and with the earthquakes, he studies and is trying to predict them using some, you know, techno babble of magnetic pulses, which didn't sound too plausible to me. I Well, I was, I was hoping you'd have the info on that one. Well, when he, you know, <clears throat> finishes his real uh, grandiose and dramatic lecture, one of his, like, grad students comes in and talks to him about how they detected a swarm of these earthquakes, and they want to go check their new theory out by going to measure it in the field. And they showed the, they showed the Hoover Dam, which... Right when they showed it, you knew it was going to get blowed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely. So is that why, why exactly do they go to the dam? Is it because they get a better reading with the water there? Or? Maybe. They didn't explain any of the details. But one of the grad students is now down like in the guts of the dam. And he's on his laptop trying to like get these readings. And that's when the earthquake strikes. All hell is breaking loose. The dam is falling apart. Bit by bit, everybody. The uh, yeah, Kim, I think the grad student's name was. Him and uh, the professor, they're trying to get out of there. They're yelling at everybody, get off the dam, and you know it's falling apart. Yeah, if there's pretty, one thing uh, the slowly. professor can do really well in the movie is yell, everybody <laughs> do something. Like, everybody take cover, or everybody off the dam. That's what the scientists do. They shout things for everybody to get out of the way. Everyone's take cover! So as the dam's deteriorating, everybody's getting off. And, uh, I mean, I, I think it would happen a lot quicker. Like, you just have one small crack in that dam. I think the whole thing washes away in half a second. But, you know, shit's falling apart for quite some time. And he ends up on the opposite side of a large crack on the top of the dam as the professor and uh he's not able to, he kind of gets sucked into it and little girls watching him and he knows he's done for just tells the little girl to close her eyes and 
Yeah, he, like, saves her as the last thing he does before he dies, which, you know, is heroic gesture. Did you notice the music when they had, like, the actual dam wash away? Was this, like, weird industrial guitar? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to put my finger on what you'd uh, call that, but... It's, it was a, different, you know, the soundtrack of this movie, it's a fairly simple action movie, and the soundtrack was pretty good. Like, different, and yet definitely the same as, like, a lot of other movies where you know what emotion to feel every time, because the music tells you. Right. Yeah, I did pull a, a couple of audio clips out for this movie, and usually it's, you know, vocal. It's a lot of music. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I did, that's one of the... The audio clips I pulled out of music, because that'd be that'd be good right here. Yeah, so all this is happening, we kind of get a little backstory of um, Ray, played by The Rock's <coughs> character, with his past, or his ex-wife, Emma, and his daughter, Blake. And they, you know, talk about how Blake's going back to college, and um, The Rock, you know, is going to take her or drive her up there because he probably hasn't been hanging out with her after the separation. And we get introduced to this new man that Emma's, you know, in a relationship with, Daniel. And this is a total example of a character, you know, that the writers want you to hate. He's very rich, um... You know, has these cliche lines about how he hasn't had time for children because he's been too busy raising skyscrapers, which just sounds totally like out of out of touch with like the average person. What'd you think of this guy? Right. Yeah. Just yeah. I guess that's you kind of nailed it there. Just out of touch with yeah the sort of realities most. You nailed it. That was a good way of putting it. <laughs> Couldn't say it better myself. Clearly. Yeah, I didn't like him. The mother, you kind of already, you know, when um, The Rock tells her that he's got to head out because, you know, this earthquake stuff is now causing him to have to go back to work even though he took some time off. You know, he drives away from her and they have this, like, kind of cliche scene where the camera is showing the rear view or the side mirror looking back at her as he's driving away. There was lots of those little shots in this movie where, you know, it's a competently made movie. It's a big production. And so far, nothing about it besides, you know, some of the character stuff has bothered me. So through the rest of the beginning of the movie, we see a couple more new characters we're introduced to. Um, we see... Blake, the rock's daughter, uh, in Daniel's, you know, enormous skyscraper. And she runs into these two brothers from England, the Taylor brothers. And right away, like the younger brother steals the scene, you know, Ollie talking like he's a lot older and wiser than, you know, a 12 or 13 year old that he's playing in this. Yeah. Telling his older brother, just man up and get her number. I, I had to ask her for a number because you weren't gonna. And then I'd have to listen to you complain about it. Yeah. How you didn't ask her. 
Yeah, so... So where where were they? They met at the airport, and where, where were they going? Well, they were going to... They were met at Daniel's building because he was doing a job interview. You know, he said he wanted to be like an engineer or design architect or something. And uh, Blake is there just because she's waiting for Daniel because he said he would take her, you know, up to college. So I think they're in San Francisco. Right. But the professor and the rest of the movie kind of jumps back and forth from like L.A. area. So after the dam scene where the professor lost one of his grad students, he's got a new assistant, right, you know, ready to go. And he's doing this interview with a news reporter talking about how there's new data and this whole chunk of land connected, you know, between the fault and the Colorado River is going to, like, break off and, you know, cause this huge earthquake. So we've got, like, our premise in the movie that... There's going to be this enormous earthquake. We have, you know, a prediction of it. So it's up to the professor to, like, get the word out and warn everyone. And then on the other side, we have the rock who is going to be doing the search and rescue and action stuff. So, you know, classic disaster movie set up pretty well. You know, at this point, there's not really been too much dead time where, like, you feel like you're bored watching it. Because we're only 30 minutes in. Right. <clears throat> so then this earthquake starts showing itself. And there's panic everywhere. And they're leaving what they did try to get to their uh, town car. Daniel Blake. Or no, yeah, Daniel Blake. And uh, wasn't there somebody else there too that they were in the parking garage and they were going to get out of there and... The building starts falling apart. Yeah, then, so she was... It's funny, because, like, the... Daniel's got a private car, so there's the driver with him. And as they're trying to leave the parking structure, like, it just starts collapsing, and they go down into the basement again, because the floor breaks apart beneath them. And now the driver has been, like, crushed as the car gets wedged in there, and everybody's stuck except Daniel. Yeah, and then Daniel gets out, tries to help her out of the car, isn't able to do so, and then he's like, oh, I'm going to, I think he hears noises out, outside, people, whatnot. So he's like, I'm going for help, I'll be right back. And then, what, well, he runs outside and... Witnesses one of the, you know, security guards get killed by a piece of falling debris. Yeah, right next to him and immediately forgets about... Blake and thinks about himself and runs away. Yeah, they definitely use him as like, uh, don't be this type of person throughout the whole movie. You, you know, you kind of uh, you see him again, like, oh, what's what's going to happen with Daniel here? Yeah, Daniel's a total punching bag for this movie. Everybody <laughs> gets to hate him and not feel guilty at it, about it at all. So at the same time, um, the Rock's ex-wife is having lunch with Daniel's ex-wife in this ritzy little, like, restaurant at the top of one of these, you know, San Francisco skyscrapers. And, you know, right before the earthquake happens, like, this, you know, woman that Emma's talking to starts ta asking, like, so I understand you had a child and it died. 
and it's like the most awkward you know conversation you know no like gentle introduction or anything like that so as the earthquake starts up the rock somehow makes a phone call to his wife while in the chopper which i i don't know it just seemed a little weird that he had so easy of access to do it but i guess it's probably a thing well i'm I'm sure they can make phone calls pretty easily but you know i'm sure you'd have uh you know other people to answer to where you couldn't just make any call you wanted to at any time you wanted to and at the same time probably not being able to fly that helicopter anywhere he wants whenever he wants well you remember in the beginning they had like that issue where they were running out of fuel with the helicopter for that rescue and you know he had a whole crew with them here he's just flying it himself and like you said he just uses the helicopter as his own personal vehicle basically but he tells emma to get to the roof during the earthquake because he's gonna pick her up there but man, yeah, I'd, I guess I'd rather be her than be Blake in the underground parking structure, because being in, like, underground during an earthquake just seems like you're going to get buried alive. Scary stuff. Yeah, top of a building also would be scary, especially yeah. if you see white caps on the, the rooftop pool. Yeah, that pool was <laughs> doing the wave hard. So as she tries to get up to the rooftop, like... The, you know, action and CGI here are pretty good where they show, like, the stairway collapsing around her and she keeps falling, like, you know, a level would collapse, she would fall, then another level would collapse and she would fall further. And the, through, like, all the shaky camera and everything, you could really tell, like, what was going on, which is a good job on, you know, the director and whoever did all the editing for this movie. Yeah. So Ray gets there just before it collapses, and she's close to, you know, grabbing the basket that he's lowered down for her as this dust cloud starts encroaching because of, you know, a building that just collapsed next door. And that's when the helicopter gets hit. My bad, is that what you just said? No. I mean, like... (laughs) (laughs) I remember, like, after 9-11 especially when a building collapses that size, like the dust cloud is a massive and it's its own like thing. So after the building next door collapses, you see this huge dust cloud and it like envelops, you know, Emma and you can't see anything. The helicopter gets dusted by it too. And it doesn't take much to ground a helicopter. I guess that's probably not a good thing to say. No, that. I think that's what the movie's kind of counting on the audience to remember, because later on, this helicopter has some some issues. <laughs> well, then we cut back to uh, the car underground, and somehow, well, when uh, um, Daniel when Daniel went running after he saw the security guard get killed next to him, he was, well, just before the uh, security guard got killed, he was, Daniel was yelling for help, you know, and parking structure and then at that point ben and uh ollie were happened to be evacuating the building running by um at that exact moment where they heard oh there's a girl you know under underground or whatever and so they went running to the parking structure to see if they could help yeah i really like this part where uh, ben and Ali are trying to get Blake out of the car, and they come up with this solution to use 
the car jack to lift, you know, part of the car so they can release Blake from it. And he runs out of jack, you know, he's lifted it all the way to the max and she's still stuck. What are you going to do? Stab the tire. (laughs) (laughs) That was probably one of my most, uh, yeah. I had no idea what he was going to do. Yeah, he just starts letting air out all the tires real fast and that was the little bit he needed. Yeah, that's probably the my most uh, favorite part of the movie. It's good, uh, like I said, the, the parts of the action and like little bits of set and props that work with the storyline, it all kind of is well thought out. Yep. And like I said, Daniel's, Daniel's always too busy raising buildings, but I'm sure he wouldn't have figured that out in a million years. No, I, yeah. I'm glad they didn't even show him trying anything because it would have just been more like, God, I hate this guy. I want to punch him. So after they all get out of the parking structure, they start, you know, trying to move through the streets, but everything around them is falling and like these pieces of building and glass are just raining down from these skyscrapers. It just seems like, you know, craziness outside. Did you notice when anyone got crushed in this movie by debris, it was always a nice clean pile that completely covered the victim so no blood or anything was showing? Yeah, right. I did notice that. I mean, you would hear them scream and then it would be like, you know, to nothing right away, but it definitely didn't seem real because of like how neatly it all was taken care of. They even did that sort of thing with Daniel, like, oh, here's the the dust, Daniel's gone, and then... Later on, we see him again. Oh, no, I guess I guess he didn't get wiped out by that dust cloud or debris or whatever. Well, hang on. If you're talking about the part of the movie I think you are, that's when um, Daniel sees the dust cloud coming and grabs a guy in a suit and just pulls him out of his hiding spot up against the building. And we see that guy get taken away by the dust cloud as Daniel's, like, cowering and being, you know, a lying, cheating asshole. <laughs> But they still yep. kind of lead it to believe that like he could be maybe taken out. He's had a lot of things come pretty close to killing him. <laughs> <laughs> Karma is going to catch up with him. But There would probably be little to no visibility in the city with how many buildings have fallen down. So Blake has obviously taken on a lot of the knowledge from her dad's search and rescue and military days because she starts formulating a plan about how They need to find, like, an electronics store to get access to, like, an old phone so they can contact her dad to get rescued. And conveniently enough, because Ollie and Ben have been visiting all the tourist sites, they have this, like, guidebook for San Francisco. And, you know, luckily, even though the internet and everything's down, they can use the book to find their place where to go. Which I guess is, again, a little nod to... Don't count on the internet resources being available during a disaster because they will probably go down and you'll need to have some offline backup of information and maps. Yeah. Well, a lot of, a lot of the uh, cell sites and cities are you know, on the building top, rooftops. And if the buildings are going down, it's probably taking the cell service with it. Yeah. <laughs> so even after this big earthquake that's been... Um, you know, one of the largest ever, the professor says there's going to be more earthquakes and they're going to be even more severe. And he wants to 
get the word out. So he goes over to the Caltech uh, media department and asks some of the students there, do you want to hack into the broadcast services and do this uh, pirate broadcast to save lives? And bro number one accepts. So we catch back up with The Rock and his ex-wife, Emma. They get a hold of their daughter, who's using an old school phone, and she reveals that Daniel, you know, left her stranded in that underground parking garage. And Emma, like anyone, is super pissed off about this. And I can't remember if they actually did slip, you know, I bet this movie's PG-13 or something. But I'm pretty sure she drops an F-bomb, like, to Daniel's voicemail box saying how she's going to kill him. Yeah. Emma and Ray start talking about family memories. Before we even get too far into the previous daughter's death and all these other drama issues between them, the helicopter has a malfunction. So the rock yeah. says, uh, we've had a gearbox failure and I'm going to auto rotate down, <laughs> which sounds like uh, professional pilots speak for we're going to crash. <laughs> we're going to put it down softly. Yeah, I don't really know what you do in that situation other than freak out. I don't really like helicopters. Yeah, once you lose the main rotor on a helicopter or the tail rotor, they pretty much fall right out of the air. It's just a matter of, like you said, auto-rotate down is usually that the whole thing will start spinning and you're trying to like slow down your vertical speed by picking up some rotational speed. It's crazy. So they crash into this like parking lot and at the last second, you know, trying to avoid killing people in the parking lot, the rock like slams it into this sporting goods store. Convenient. But all around them, everybody is taking advantage of the disaster by doing some looting. People looting. Walking out with TVs, clothes. There's some guns, gunshots in the background. Yeah, chaos. And then Ray and Emma find a car of their own. Yeah, they find this truck that's already loaded up with a bunch of stolen electronics. And they do a quick camera shot that shows the ignition wires have already been pulled out so we know this truck is already stolen and before ray can start it up and hotwire it he has a gun pulled on him by this you know guy that is bad guy you know he's obviously stealing stuff he stole the truck he's pulling a gun out on our beloved rock and quickly rock has no time for this and just Jacks him in the face and takes his gun <laughs> and truck and bed full of TVs. He fucking leaves the TVs. He drives off. He doesn't care. I thought they were in the bed. I feel like they fell out when he took off because oh, the okay. tailgate wasn't down. Guess I missed that part. So as Emma and Ray are driving, we get some more talk about their lost daughter. And it sounds like after their daughter had died, like that's pretty much right when um the rock and emma got a divorce sounded like but mercifully this conversation is cut short when they almost crash into a ditch and it looks like again just in the beginning of the movie where there's this new huge uh fault line that's torn open you know as far as the eye can see you can't get around it because 
it tore out all the roads. It probably destroyed all the bridges. And luckily, you know, they were warned just a minute before it happened by this old couple on the side of the road. And the moment the rock starts talking to him about, you know, ways around and all this, he starts uh, noticing this hat the guy's wearing that uh, has an airplane on it. (laughs) Where'd you get your hat? So then he, what, trades him? Stolen truck for an airplane. (laughs) (laughs) At least that gas station was on the, the right side of the crack. Yeah. So they could gas up. So they go get that Cessna from the hangar, take off. Yeah, and we get some more dead daughter talk. I know you didn't blame me. I just didn't know how to deal with that when I Um, It turns out that during a whitewater rafting trip, Ray and his daughter were separated when she fell in the water. And already, like, that's plenty of backstory i think to settle that like ray you know search and rescue means a lot to him and he wasn't able to do it to his own daughter but then they add more details that start to just go into like incredulity where he says that he remembers seeing her face when they were in the water and how he saw her face as she knew that he couldn't get to her and all this which is foreshadowing for like some of the scenes between Ray and his daughter Blake later on in the movie. I'd say this is where they jump the shark in terms of like emotional distress and backstory relating to Ray's character. Right. So when uh, Blake, Ben, and Ollie, well, The Rock and Emma are looking for Blake and uh, they're going... I forget what what rendezvous point they came up with. I think it was like some building, right, where they were gonna high ground. They were gonna they were gonna find them, meet up. Yeah, they were gonna go to this tower that was kind of around the outskirts of the city. And Blake and the Taylor brothers start, you know, raiding this fire truck on the side of the street, which I thought seemed like a really not like. Not something you want your main characters to be doing in a movie because it just seems like you're sending the message that, yeah, you should just go to the side of the fire truck and pull out their extra radios and all their equipment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just kind of send the wrong message. Yeah, Blake knows all the tactical radio channels and all this details about how search and rescue and the fire departments work. So she gets on the radio and... Um, you know, they come up with that they got to get to higher ground. We hit a snag because the airport is completely destroyed. So the small plane that Emma and Ray are in is going to have a tough time landing in this crumbled city that is San Francisco. So then they grab the parachute and tandem jump equipment out of the back seat and set the plane up for autopilot dive to the ocean after they jump. I found a goof in this section. Do you want to hear it? Absolutely. When Ray and Emma steal the skydiving school plane, when the engine starts, the sound is that of a piston engine with some puffs of smoke. The plane is, however, a turboprop. Totally different sound and visual. That's rough on the suspension of disbelief for those who know the difference. (laughs) 
So yeah, they do their tandem jump into AT&T Park. Is that a baseball diamond? Yeah, right? The skydiving scene was shot pretty good. They do the good camera work during the skydiving, and you see when they pull the parachute, like, they get shot back upward because they must have another cameraman still free-falling. It was interesting. I don't think it's done for real. You know, it's probably still done with, like, green screen and CGI, but... The actual effect is pretty good. So then, you know, the rock gracefully lands them right inside the park. And when they land, he drops the one-liner that definitely is the winner in my book for the whole movie. It's been quite a while since I got you to second base. I was trying to think of what baseball team plays there. The Giants. San Francisco Giants. Yeah. Okay. Well, now we're about an hour and 15 minutes into the movie, and we get the big earthquake that we've been promised. And our professor does his trademark, everybody get to cover yell, and this is where we just start seeing, like, all the buildings start collapsing. You can see the ground is, like, rippling, and you can see the waves in just the terrain as it, you know, spreads out through the city. Which I was looking up about earthquakes, and they were talking about how you can get, like, true liquefaction of the ground, and you'll see the seismic waves go through the ground during these, like, ultra-strong earthquakes. So tremors? That was more of a realistic? (laughs) Interesting. That's interesting, though. That'd be something to see. Living in Wisconsin? Yeah, we don't have to really worry about earthquakes. The other thing that they don't seem to capture in this is that during these, like, really massive earthquakes, the ground will shake for, like, four or five minutes continuously. And that, I think, like, after a minute or two of shaking, like, you would just be freaking out that it's never going to stop. Right. In this big earthquake, the scientist, or the professor says, too, he's like, people on the East Coast will feel this. Yeah, that was a weird line, too. I don't know what he meant by it. Like, seismometers will probably pick it up, but... So everybody's trying to get to cover. You know, Ray's giving people advice on the street to, like, run over by the side of the stadium and all this. We see, you know, another injured person on the side of the road, and Ray picks her up, starts running with her, and trying to save everybody, but it's still kind of a pretty dangerous place because the stadium's, like lights and things on those tall poles start crashing down and nowhere safe to be during an earthquake like that yeah that's kind of that's that's what i was thinking he's bringing all the people towards the big ass building with all those lights and you know potential you know over the head hazard whatever and yeah it's like why why you'd be better off in an open area i mean not as open of an area as like a crevice in the ground but you know what i mean in, in a field or the middle of a, I don't know, intersection or somewhere to minimize the overhead hazards. So now that they're landed, they still want to try to get back in touch with Blake. And they look to the marina and see some boats and decide that they're going to go around the city because this point that they were trying to all meet up at, the tower, is you know, still a long ways off. So they steal a boat and they start going around the city. And it's about this time that we get our tsunami warning from the National Weather Service, which I really liked how they had like the 
if you ever listen to weather radio, you hear that voice. This is <laughs> Noah Weather Radio. Important. So the tsunami scene starts off good enough. We get the water rushing back out of the harbor. You know, Ray knows exactly what this means. And we see them trying to meet the wave while it's still out of ways because it's not as tall as it is going to be when it gets to the shore. And as they're driving straight at this wave, it seems as though they're just about to make it over, but then the ass end of a shipping container ship starts tipping over the crest of the wave and they have to steer around it. Yeah. They just make they just make it over, but a lot of the boats behind them or in front of them are flipping and the shipping container ship flips end over end, landing on top of the bridge where we see Daniel trying to escape. Yeah, it's but quite it, a big set piece to kill off Daniel, but Daniel's a big enough asshole that there has to be a huge way that he dies spectacularly. I would say I was upset about this part of the movie because it becomes totally unbelievable, but at the same time, you know what you're getting into with this popcorn flick. (laughs) You know, and it kind of releases after all the action and tension, like they pan out and they do this, you know, kind of choir singing sad music as the wave washes through the rest as this wave washes through the rest of San Francisco and you see all the people obviously being, like, killed and drowned. Did you think the music sounded kind of like Titanic during this part? Yeah, I suppose. I not really think of that, but now that you mention it, something a little bit like that. Large ship disaster music. Well, at this point, they show a lot of the, like, people, you know, that are just random citizens of the city you know realizing that the end is here and like they show an old couple you know embrace for a hug as like the water you know pushes a cruise ship over them and you see all these like reaction shots of people that are in their last moments compared to the movie knowing where they had much more of like a you know indulgent kill cam style deaths of random people this movie at least seemed to take a little bit more respect with how it handled these you know massive casualties right so blake and the taylor boys have gone to daniel's uh skyscraper that was under construction to try to ride out the tsunami and everything seems pretty calm there but They're still, you know, not out of the woods yet. The water's rising and they have to keep going up a story. And Emma and Ray now are driving around in the flooded streets of San Francisco in this boat. And everything's full of debris. And I thought, like, some of the CGI here looked really impressive. Like, it didn't look like it was all computer generated, but at the same time... I know they wouldn't have been able to make such a thing, like, with practical effects. Like, obviously, they probably are on a boat, but the backgrounds are all filled in. So this building starts to collapse floor by floor, only a few floors at a time. So the stairs that they went up to get higher, you know, away from the water, they're now down back to the water level because the 
first few floors got crushed and I don't really know how realistic that is for the first few floors of a building <laughs> collapsing and then leaving it stand up. But I think another building was kind of like wedged up against it. So maybe they kind of. Yeah, kept... it looked like a building collapsed sideways and fell onto resting on this building. So they continue to make their way up. And by coincidence, Ray and Emma are in their boat right outside the windows that Blake and the Taylor boys are looking out of. But they can't uh, hear them pounding on the glass or anything. So Ollie comes to the rescue with his green laser pointer. Which, again, I like this part. Like, this seemed like, again, more, you know, troubleshooting and coming up with a solution that's, like, what this movie, I think, does pretty well. So, again, now we learn that laser pointers have a tactical survival use. Absolutely. So, at this point, I was pretty happy with, like, how this movie was progressing and things were doing pretty well. Like, I wouldn't say it's my favorite movie, but it was, you know, above average. And now this last act of the movie starts to get a little cringe-inducing. So, like you said, the building collapses down and Blake gets trapped underwater. And Ray is trying to rescue her. And we get that moment that the foreshadowing of Ray's, you know, deceased daughter seeing his face underwater when she knew he couldn't get there. And the rock dives headfirst into the tsunami waters. Probably not a wise choice. All the debris and shit, I wouldn't be jumping in there headfirst. And then he swam towards Blake, what? couple football fields underwater, it seemed like. Longer than I could hold my breath. <laughs> Mine as well. And the water level's rising. They're both in separate rooms. They can see there's only a pane of glass in between them, and there's debris clogging the doorway, so they can't move the debris and get the door open. So they're inches apart, but neither of them can get to the other side. And then uh, Ben and Ollie are, what, one or two floors above, and they they get stuck up there. They can't go back for her because debris lodged in the stairway. Yeah, I never really thought about that. When you're in a building and it floods with water, that a lot of the furniture and stuff is going to start floating, and it will get stuck in those areas like stairways because that's where the water is going to rise upward. So they have their face-to-face, you know, moment, and we have this, you know, music that, again, is telling you how to feel. And the sad music, you know, is playing on the piano while she dies. But we know that uh, the rock is going to get her. Because the music changes, and you can just tell that he's going to, you know, break through all this, pull her to the surface, and the mom's going to get you know, pick him up in the boat just in time. So the rock tries to resuscitate her and for quite some time and he's failing and they kind of have a sad moment and give up and then he's, he goes back at it thinking you can't give up on this. And Yeah, it's really and, the climax of the movie. They have like 
stuff collapsing around them, the angelic choir music playing, and the rock just, you know, giving her CPR, trying to get her to live. Finally, she comes comes back to, and he didn't have to lose a second daughter. So after our epilogue is the professor again talking about how you know lives were saved because local ep- experts were able to you know give warnings to people ahead of time and this is a message that i think is a good message for a disaster movie to have because in almost all natural disasters scientists are the ones that give warnings ahead of time and the warnings are meant to reduce the number of lives lost to these disasters. So I really enjoyed this as the message for the movie, especially during this pandemic that's currently going on. Right. Gotta be as prepared as possible for anything. And although you don't have to be prepared for an earthquake in Wisconsin, a pandemic can happen anywhere everywhere so we see the recovery process start um emma asks ray what now and as an american flag you know unfurls from the bridge we hear him say now it's time to rebuild and they they do this pan out shot at the end of the movie where they show like the entire state of California, but now you see like there's lots of flooded areas and it's become like chains of islands, and that's San Andreas. Yep, it ends with us seeing that and the National Guard with with camp set up like a fire festival. I thought this movie used uh, the news coverage pretty sparingly like some disaster movies will have it like as one of the main things they cut to but in this i think they only cut to the news two or three times and it was very brief just to like do a transition from one thing to the next yeah this uh movie was a lot better than i remember it being the first time i watched it yeah originally when we had randomly selected this movie i was a little worried about watching such a you know popcorn action movie for our next movie but i was pretty happy with it yeah are you ready to go into ratings yes i am so i'm gonna rate it as a six out of ten um you know it's not as good i think as like outbreak or you know, Titanic or any of those movies, but it's not as bad as like some really cheap, like 2012 or some of those disaster movies. It's, it's competent at what it's doing. It keeps your attention with a lot of action pretty quickly. And if you can't uh, relate to any of the emotional stuff, you can definitely make fun of like some of the character arcs with Emma and Daniel and all these people. But otherwise, it's a very competently done movie. The action and CGI are good enough that they're not overly distracting. And I would definitely say it's enjoyable to take your mind off what's going on in current events right now. Yeah, I agree with that. So I rated it a 7. 
7.5 if I throw a decimal on there, but yeah, I agree. It was pretty, uh, you know, edge, edge of your seat, popcorn flick type thing, but yeah, very, uh, learn some things, you know, don't be, don't be a Daniel and, <laughs> you know, some simple things can be quite helpful out there in the times of disaster. Yeah, I didn't see anyone stealing toilet paper when they started looting, so not really believable. <laughs> With your rating being a 7.5, is this the Richter scale where your uh, rating is exponentially greater than mine? <laughs> <laughs> Why, has, has mine always been better than yours? Uh, My ratings? I think, I think so far you've been a little nicer. Yeah, I really touched on the low numbers that... So now we should talk about our favorite character. Mine's Ollie. Do you mind if I get your phone number for him? Ollie! Ollie, the little brother? Yep. He was always prepared. You see how many uh, post-it notes he had on that book of his? (laughs) He was prepared. My favorite character was the professor because he's definitely not an action hero. And the entire time, you know, he seems like he is got this like heavy conscious because he knows what's going to happen. He's trying to get people to take it seriously. And that's something I feel like I can relate to. Do you think something like this could happen in real life? Earthquakes? Yeah, like, uh, there's a name for these <laughs> types of earthquakes. They call them hyper... I don't know what they're called. <laughs> to some extent, I think this sort of thing could happen. But I don't know. I mean, what's when an earth, earthquake happens, you don't generally have a 50-meter-wide crack open up. Yeah, that's where I think they go a little too far with all their, you know, shearing of, like, this entire plate and, you know, all this enormous cracks, like you said, opening up. I've seen pictures of, like, the faults and things opening, but they're never, like, these enormous gulfs. How, how large would you say is common? Well, over time, you can get big ones, but... Yeah, over, you know, over I think a lot it's, of time. It's, if you see, like, a crack and Not you're like, day. wow, that's a 10-meter crack. Yeah, maybe something like that's possible, or, you know, 20 meters. But they're showing these, like, spots where the ground has moved, like, more than 50 to 100 meters, and I don't think stuff like that is really possible, a lot of the parts of the physics in this movie aren't really accurate, but I finally figured out the word I was missing. It was megathrust quakes, which uh, all the largest earthquakes are this type of earthquake where, um, you know, two plates come together and one's forced underneath the other one and the slip of one plate causes the, you know, fault to... Uh, form right between the two so i could have used maybe a little bit more science and realism with the professor but at the same time i was just happy enough that it wasn't you know one character action movie scientist superhero 
mega thrust. I would have thought the word or terminology would be a little more scientific, but scientists hey. uh, have urges and needs to. <laughs> what did we learn besides <laughs> in this movie that we can use in real life? Again, doesn't, you know, don't count hurt on to, the internet. Doesn't hurt to have maps and maybe a laser pointer. Forms of uh, communication without cell phones and inter- internets. Doesn't have to be EMS radios, but... Yeah, I think stuff besides cell phones um, is always good to have radios or whatever. And then uh, some sort of books for backups. These are all good things to have. Well, now it's time to pick our next movie. All right. What's it going to be? So I have our list. Right now we have a little more than 100 movies because people have been starting to add things on our, our Facebook group. I will pick a random number, and we'll see what that is. Generating. The number is 40. Number 40 is Soylent Green, a 1970 American science fiction film directed by Richard Fleischer and starring Charlton Heston. Is that... He played Moses? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Charlton Heston, Lee Taylor Young... Edward Robinson. So, I've heard of this movie. I've never seen it. This is the one where it's like people in the future and they're all eating this stuff called Soylent Green and I think everybody knows the the plot twist at the end of what Soylent Green is made out of. But, yeah, I've never actually sat better off and watched this. What? From what I know with that sort of thing, you probably shouldn't look it up. You probably watch the movie first. Just like if you don't want our podcast to be a spoiler, watch this movie before the episode is released next week. Yeah, we've never really told our viewers if you should listen to the podcast first or watch the movie. I, I think it's probably better to watch the movie and then listen to the podcast, but we'll see. We'll try not to step on anyone's toes too much. So yeah, with that, um, uh, don't forget to follow us on Facebook. We have a Reddit now. Uh, dead end podcast and uh don't forget to write a five-star review on apple podcasts it gives the show some more um viewers and gets it into people's feeds so help it expand so with that i'm matt bluma and i'm rob foshay and we've reached another dead end